Hello Birmingham and welcome to Breaking Bread. This is your food podcast all about the great places to eat in Birmingham. I'm your host Liam and this is Carl. Hello, hello. Talking shit as usual. <laughs> I kind of said that really aggressive then. Like, this is Carl. This is Carl. <laughs> it's not like we've been spending too much time together or anything I know, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fucking, we're not our own bubble here. <laughs> How's things? Yeah, buzzing man. Buzzing, 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 buzzing. Yeah, so we've been eating out a fair bit. <laughs> I know, we've been catching up man. Definitely I've eaten at one place, well, two places that would get mentioned. You've eaten a load of places. I went Ophim first time. My last Michelin star, so that's the five. I know, you've done it now. Awesome. What a place. I know, it's great, isn't it? I've been there a couple of times now and I love it. It looks like it's better now than it ever has been there, so you're probably ahead of me on that one. Yeah, the tasting menu is refined. Uh, standout dish, well, they were all good, but I tell you what, there's a, I'm not just being stereotypical. I know I'm Irish, but the potato dish. Of course it is. <laughs> the potato dish. Even Cy Carlo said about it last night. That potato dish is one of the best things I've ever had. It's yeah. incredible. Potato's an amazing vegetable. There's no meat in there either, like, which is surprising. Well, in that dish, <laughs> that dish, like, you know, you'd expect it to be the meat, big meat main course that was a star of the show but for me it was that potato dish well for me and my wife we both were just blown away you tend to find this when you ever have a fine dining sort of experience if there's a potato course the star's the potato like they don't tend yeah. to put any meat with it or anything like that yeah yeah like that then we're um, little blackwood potato 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 yeah that was fantastic <laughs> that was there you go the, the um there's the little blackwood the tick. little blackwood mention i think we mentioned it in with andrew sheridan as well <laughs> Jesus. Do well every episode. Us. No, it is going to get mentioned every episode. But then again, we go there all the fucking time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'll tell you where we went together. We're nearly blown over, and I don't know how we nearly forgot. 670. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we were just said we were going before, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, we went the last time we recorded intros, was the last time we went. 670 grams. Custard Factory was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah it was buzzing. Great place. He's done such a good job there. I feel like I'm going to message him every day and ask him for a bucket of uh, veal sweetbreads. Yeah, man. I love that um, one that tasted just like lamb kebab. Oh, yeah, with the biscuits on top. That was unbelievable. That was really, really good, yeah. The whole restaurant, wicked. Yeah, the food he's producing out of that kitchen with just two of them. Yeah. It's uh, phenomenal. It's incredible. And it's really good value as well. Yeah, 65 quid, cheapest taster menu. in. The, well, I just want to say cheap because there's nothing cheap about the ingredients. Or Least expensive taster menu in the city. Yeah. And it's quality, pure quality. Nice to see two lads that we know as well, kind of friends of ours, doing well. You kind of feel a little bit prouder, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, not, I wouldn't say emotional, but it was just really good to see. Yeah. Especially when you know how much work he's put into it. Mm. So I went Ophim. You went somewhere else. Where did you go? Uh, I went to Pop-Up. Oh, fuck's sake. Uh, little Blackwood. <laughs> Tick. Tick. <laughs> um, for um, Baja, I did a Pop-Up there. And I went for the roast, the Sunday roast there. And I'm a big, I'm really picky on Sunday roasts going out. Like, um, I don't tend to go out for food. I think I can do really well. Yeah, I think and we I both think we do the best. Dinner. unbelievable it takes me two days because i do loads of prep and marinade just a ridiculous amount of work but 
their Sunday roast dinner was brilliant. Like if anyone can get a Baja roast dinner for a Sunday, just get one. There, I had the uh, Guinness jackfruit, which she like base in Guinness for like ages and ages. Just has to stand there doing each one. It was absolutely fantastic. Didn't miss the meat on the yeah. plate. This might be controversial, but the meat's not the massive thing for me on a roast dinner. It's I love the roast spuds. Yeah, them spuds. Well, the way I look at it is, you can have great meat. But if the roast buds are shit, yeah. then it's a shit dinner. But the other way around, the meat can be only average. But if them spuds are fucking singing, then brilliant. Yeah. So what was the spud saying? Really good. Really crispy. So I use beef fat on mine, so they've got to... Yeah, obviously they're obviously not going to be doing that, are they? But yeah. I should point out it's a vegan pop-up. I didn't mention that, but it's a vegan place, yeah. just in case you don't know who Baja are. Yeah, and that's true, yeah. We just assume everyone knows who Baja is. Yeah, I know, yeah. Well, most people that listen to this probably do. Yeah. But yeah, and I went in and spoke to them and they're really, really nice and they're going to come and do a podcast. So we'll have them on soon. Really good crack. And yeah, the food was fantastic. I was on a table with two people that are pretty much vegan, vegetarian, some of the time and vegan most of the time. And they were like singing about it as well. They were going on how good it was. I loved it. The missus loved it. Yeah, brilliant. And you've been in some more places as well, haven't you? Pineapple oh yeah, club. of course. Yeah, last Saturday I managed to get up to the Pineapple Club. Obviously, Sam used to have Vanguard above Thousand Trades. Took this opportunity over lockdown to kind of have a little bit of think about what he really wants to do and what he wants a, a, his bar to look like, and decided that it was probably better away from the Jewelry Quarter and more into Central Birmingham. So now he's mm. moved to Great Western Arcade. Great Western Arcade is stunning, like you know, just the building itself. Yeah, Victorian arcade. It's one of the most picturesque and most pictured arcades in Birmingham. It's class. So yeah, and obviously this brand new place is coming now, and that looks the business. Obviously, it's, it's quite garish. There's bright pink neon pineapples and stuff like that. But the drinks, it's a cocktail concept, and the drinks. Obviously, I had the non-alcohol. Had this vanilla one that was just I could have drunk it all night. V for Vegas or something like that. It was class. Very vanilla-y. Brendan, who came with me, said that the cocktails were stunning. Best espresso martini he said he'd ever had. They get the coffee from 200 degrees. Oh, nice. We got chatting to Sam. Sam's just, if you've never met Sam, he's awesome. He'll definitely be on the show one day. I hope so, yeah. I've not met him, so it'll be good. But yeah, I had some food from there as well. The food's like a separate kind of company, inside a company. Yeah, a lot of places do this now. They just get people in that do cooking, don't they? Yeah, they're called Saint. And it was absolutely lashing down all day. And I was soaked and it was cold. And then I was quite happy to see beef bourguignon on the menu. So perfect for a day like that. The whole experience was good. Socially distanced, uh, table service. Yeah, it's a great addition to the middle of Birmingham. We kind of said earlier about Cray and how, like, and we were proud of him when he... We tried his food and you go to his restaurant and see how awesome it is. We've kind of had the same experience this week. Where like I said, this is the Andrew Sheridan episode. Everybody. Yeah, so Andrew Sheridan, you might know him off Great British Menu. Yeah, he's been on that twice. Yeah, got pretty far. I think he was in the final, yeah, wasn't final. he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did really well. And he's chefed at quite a few well-known places, won rave reviews everywhere he's been and... I think it was last year. You'll hear in the episode, he started in craft. Yeah, he's a named chef, though. Yeah. He's someone, if you mention him to another chef, like they all know who you're talking about. Yeah, everyone knows Andrew Sheridan. So we were lucky to meet him. And then 
this week we also ate in eight. <laughs> yeah, so the episode's about him working at craft and what he's done and how he's transformed it, which you're going to hear about, obviously. But it's mainly about his new venture there, which is eight, which is... I mean, we won't ruin it by talking about what it is now, but we got to try it. We were very lucky to that he invited us to come and try it on a taster night. So thank you very much for that. The whole restaurant is just ridiculous. It's, a, just it's only experience. 16 people. Yeah, don't need to go too much. Yeah, 16 people. One sitting. One sitting. Four days a week. Three days, no? Three days a week. Yeah. 8 p.m. Eight courses. £88. Opened on the 8th. <laughs> There's a theme. It's called yeah, eight. It's called eight. Everything's based around eight. It's but not tacky though. No. It's not tacky. And uh, it's unlike any restaurant that we've ever been in. You sit in kind of like an L shape around the kitchen. So it's like a chef's table. Yeah, it's like if you go, that's really common in like Japan or something like that, that you all sit around the kitchen and they serve and just give you the food. But it doesn't look like any restaurant I've ever been in. It's so fucking funky. Me neither, yeah. I mean,. The videos, the lighting, the music. So much detail gone into everything. Yeah, so he says he likes to um, be in control of every aspect of the whole experience. And the drinks pairing was something he took care of. The drinks pairing, no joke. That's the best drinks pairing I've had with any taster menu. That amazes me because you've ate in some mega places. Yeah, and I drink a lot when I go to these places. With some big name smelliers, and then you're saying this is the best. It's the best drinks pairing I've had. Sorry to annoy anyone out there, but it really is. It's 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 good because it's not all wine. There's a mix. There's even non-alcoholic drinks. Yeah, which is really interesting. It's good for me. Yeah, you got to actually try some. I got to try. Yeah, and then and then I got to drink yours. <laughs> you and Laura polished off the horns. Me and Laura finished yeah. off. Yeah. She had your wines and I had your cocktails. Yeah, that's true. She didn't fare as good as you did. I'm not joking. <laughs> I was fucked the next day. I spent the whole day at work just hanging. Because we had two gin and tonics as well. Drinks pairing. Mm. Half your drinks pairing. The food Man. was incredible then as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get on to the food. That's Well, that's the bit you're fucking paying for, isn't it? You're paying for the food. Mm. And the food, you worry with a place like that, that it's style over substance and it's really not the food the food like you can go in there and be amazed by the layout and just everything in there but the food's better than everything else yeah the, the food's still the star of the, the food's show the best thing in there it's like some of the dishes are like we don't want to talk about it too much because i don't want to give the game away because there is sort of a nice surprise sort of element to a lot of it the venison wellington the venison wellington venison was, wellington was venison, just yeah definitely venison oh man that so was crazy good. good, yeah. And the carrot cake dessert, I was mad on that. Like, that's one of the best desserts I don't like, I've ever had. I don't like carrot cake, but I enjoyed that. It yeah, was a syrup fantastic. crust. It was unbelievable. And the, like the pork on like the treacle bread with the cheese. And oh man, that was good. Literally just, there wasn't a bad dish. Usually when you do a taster menu, there's usually like one, maybe two dishes that you think, oh, what if they got rid of this? Like it wouldn't be the end of the world. Yeah. But... Every single dish was perfect. Every drinks pairing was perfect, and every like food course was absolutely perfect. I've got, I cannot rate this place any higher. Yeah, it's. A, I was just really proud of Andrew and everything he's achieved. Yeah, you hear from, his story and what he's done, and from recording this episode, what two or three weeks ago, having a little sneak peek at the restaurant, and it was still a building site. 
to then visiting that night and experiencing it all it just unbelievable it's set for great things i think and i think the restaurant's set for great things i think and the I th- restaurant's gonna be really i think this is a clear message to people now if you want to eat there or have any inkling that you want to eat there i'd book now yeah seriously it might not be i think it's february the release of stars or whatever but at some point this place is gonna be huge and you won't ever get a table there then yeah that's true so this is the perfect time to get in and get a table and get to try this food because when it gets popular and it word gets out to the rest of the country people will be coming from all over i'm looking at booking again already i want to i want to go back i want to eat there again yeah well my wife wants to eat there so we've got to book it up again and seriously you're, you're going to struggle to get a table at some point at this place yeah so we should probably say now that we had one of our things that keeps me awake at night is one day we'll record an episode and it doesn't record for some reason and unfortunately this episode was the episode we got like 40 minutes in and realized for whatever i don't know what happened but it just wasn't recording and we had to go back and start all again massive thank you to andrew who was really cool with going back and starting again but as you'll notice the start of this episode it does start with a little bit of confusion because we're like oh no all right let's just get going do this again so right. i think it comes out well though I, I listened to it there yesterday and i think it's still brilliant we get all the main points back in so just massive thank you for andrew uh, yeah. being so understanding the blokes 40 energy. minutes in man you're like oh this hasn't recorded I, like, I knew it was bound to happen at some point and we're like two years in now when it's happened so Awesome, yeah. So, hope you all enjoy this episode. Yeah, enjoy and book it, seriously. Yeah, just please book it. Honestly, you need to experience this. Yeah, I'll tell you, it'll get famous and you'll never get a table. Ladies and gentlemen, Andrew Sheridan. Hello, Andrew. Hi, guys. All right. Welcome to You're right. Bread again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really After sorry. Half now, really again. Well, we definitely know each other now. Yeah, definitely, mate. Yeah. Definitely. So... Ah. Where do you want to begin, lads? Definitely go for craft again, because that was really good stuff about craft. All right. Okay. So, yeah, craft. Um, November, I arrived at craft. Um, heard about it through the grapevine, came up, met with Sam and Emma, uh, came over to have a look at the place. Uh, first initial thoughts, I remember thinking, shit, it looks like DFS when I walked in. The place was massive, mate. It was massive. And I got butted up here because I went for a banging meal first at Ophine with Sam and Emma. And they were telling me all about the venue before we got here and everything. We came and I was like, fuck, look at the size of it. And then the menu came and that was about 27 items on the menu. And I was thinking, geez, but it had a bit of an identity thing. I don't really think anybody knew what it was in the city or what it was meant to be. Um, so obviously, yeah, I started and brought a lot of my guys with me. So Jess out front, she's front house manager. She was my first pastry chef. And then I've got Jake, he worked with me as well. He does all the cocktails at Craft. And then Lewis, who's like my rock in there, he's my sous chef. Uh, he worked with me in Cornwall, brought him up here. So he's here as well. So he's actually gonna take over as head chef at Craft when we open it. Uh, so I'm gonna work between the two of them. You're gonna be executive chef at Craft then, aren't you? Oh, I don't even you have don't titles, like mate. I hate titles. Like I'd rather call everyone superheroes, mate. Mm. You know, so <laughs> he's gonna become Thor a Craft. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, mate, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go between the two of them. I'm um, never sure about an executive chef. When I see executive chef, I'm like, what? 
What do you do? (laughs) You don't cook anymore, so what do you do? (laughs) No, mate, so he's obviously going to take over that when we open eight. Um, And then, yeah, mate, I I came probably the worst time for any chef. I came in December. Christmas. Horrendous, mate. Had to pick up all the slack of all the old menus and everything, which was, I'm not going to lie, it was a shit fight. Absolute shit fight. Trying to do another chef's food and interpretate what they've written down on the menu is really hard, especially when you've still got half the whole staff here that used to be here. And every time you're doing something, they're going, that's not how we used to do it. And I'm thinking, all right, okay. That must be the worst thing to hear. Oh, mate, it was horrendous because I wouldn't have minded if it was really good how they used to do it, but it was shite. (laughs) So... You attempted at any point when you see how bad it was just to sell. Oh, mate, do you know what? I'll actually tell you about this story. One of them made me a beef wellington to send to to a customer, right? And they've been doing beef wellingtons for ages, and I'll never forget it. It looked like Moby Dick. It was like a white, all all rolled horrendously, right? And I'll never forget it. I turned around, and I was like, what is that? And I just ripped the pastry off it. You've never seen something so horrific in all your life. That was that was one of my first Saturdays here, and I just thought, shit, it's going to be a long one, this. <laughs> but December's always hard anywhere, but it's definitely yeah. harder if you've just taken over somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so we got through December. A um, couple of bumps on the way, but it was all good. Um, and then we started a new menu, but we still hadn't like found the momentum, and I think people were still a little bit confused about everything and what craft was. Um, and then COVID hit. COVID hit and we just, you know, we took that as a time to like regroup, have a look at the whole restaurant concept, see what we were doing. Was there a meeting there? Did you sit down with um, Sam and say like, listen, this isn't, this place isn't right. It's not good enough. It's um, not where it needs to be. And it's there wasn't, got great potential. We, we knew that, we knew that when I came on that we were going to start changing things. And I always think that people jump into like head chef roles and all that lot and they expect things to like change overnight. Well, that just isn't life. You can't expect to go into the perfect dream world unless you go and work in an institution that's been there for years and has developed a reputation. You can't just jump in somewhere and expect everything to be perfect exactly how you wanted it from the day dot. I took this job and the attention of mate, this is going to be a long, this is going to be a couple of years thing to get it right. I didn't realize that we'd turn it around as quick as we did because I look at the restaurant now and I'm like, we've done in this restaurant what it take others years to do. And it's, that's... It's beautiful. I mean, you said it, it's like DFS. It's, it's nothing like that now. It's nah, mate. This, this is one of the, I reckon this is one of the coolest dining rooms in Birmingham. Mm. And that's fact, you know, yeah, we've, we've got everything. We've got, well, it's Instagrammable as well. People can take a picture in the pod take a picture in the archway or you can come and sit in a private dining room which is really really cool so it kind of everything was like an evolution of just like conversations and you know sam and emma's i've got like amazing ideas they they did you know it was emma's ideas to all the wine list you know sam's ideas to put the private dining room and everything like that but it's we just bounce ideas off everyone to be honest with you and it's it's just evolution you know i look we did the private dining room and then the garden came and then the new bar at the top came and then all that happened and then we reopened after COVID had just hit and after that all started dying down, we reopened the doors and it's like we went from doing 30 covers on a Friday, Saturday night to, you know, we just done 117 this Saturday night, just gone and 75 for lunch, doing on average about 650 covers a week. It feels like there's a steady ship here now and it's getting into its groove. The food looks stunning. You mentioned Instagram maybe a couple of times or maybe the last time we recorded, yeah. but... Is that always something you've been interested in? Is like the social media side of things? I think social media, you have to be interested in social media in this day and age now. Not like, if you look at a lot of restaurants, they still don't get it. 
No, no, they don't. They don't get it. I mean, I'm in charge. I do all the craft social media. I hate social media. Everything. It's time consuming. Yeah, it, uh, and it really, really, really well, I, I, I do it at night time sometimes, you know, I'll sit there and I'll be like, oh, what, what can I put up? But I, I do honestly think that people eat with their eyes and they go to places with their eyes. If we've made a place look as stunning as this, a dining room look as stunning as this, we've got really cool pods outside. That We turn them pods twice on a Saturday night, twice. You can fit eight in each pod each time. We turn them twice. We do the same for Saturday lunch, do the same midweek. Can't get enough of the pods. People just turn them because we're creating something that's a little bit different. But do I think that Instagram and Facebook and these things have got a massive influence in that? Definitely. I can't remember. I could bore you all day with stats about so I love it, I do. But I think it's something stupid like 80% of under 25-year-olds check a restaurant out at first on Instagram or Facebook. Before, yeah. Well, not probably not Facebook, but Instagram. Yeah. Before visiting. And they'll make the decision on which restaurant to go to based on what they see on Instagram. Yeah, definitely, mate. Well, you, you, you want to see what the food's like. You want to see if it's cool or not. You know, even the way that we do uh, write the menu here. I write the menu so it's really, really easy to read because I always hate that when I go out. I think to myself, if I don't know the ingredients on the dish, what do the customers think? You know, I've gone totally full circle as a chef. 3,000 elements on a plate and all these words that nobody's ever heard of before. And if they do, it's it's, it's a different language. And like we've prided, we, we pride ourselves on doing British cuisine and doing it really, really well. So when I write a menu, I've got to pay homage to that. And that has to be the main goal that when a customer reads it, they recognize every single thing they're reading on the menu, uh, whether that's beef and Yorkshire pudding or it's apple crumble and custard, you know, but it's got to be served in, in a unique way because otherwise you can go to loads of other places and have that. I think we're busy because we're doing that, but we're doing it completely different. Yes, it looks like food you just want to eat. Like you, re- you hear, oh yeah, I want that. I could eat that. I could eat the next thing you know. You could eat the whole. And menu. Do, do you know what? Even when you're coming down to like the recipes for it, you you are basically just taking the same recipes that you'd take to make an apple crumble or a custard, but you're just manipulating them in a different way because the flavour still tastes exactly the same. Who doesn't want to sit there and eat a bowl of apple crumble and custard? And if you don't, you're mad. Is that what people can expect here, British food? Then? 100%, yeah. Well, if they go on Instagram and Facebook, that's what they're going to get. Um, now, we do get the odd occasion when people come in and they say, have you not got something else on the menu? And you're like, well, no, but that kind of like dwindled itself out, especially after we reopened, because I firmly, you know, dug my heels in. And I was like, this is what we are doing, you know, and Sam totally backs everything when it comes to the food. He's like, right, let's, he wants it to be completely British as well. It's um, not tasting menu anymore. It used to be tasting menu. Yeah, mate, I stopped doing tasting menu as well because I didn't know what everything was going to be like after COVID. And then obviously we had the idea for eight. So I thought, I've got the best of both worlds. We're going to open eight, yeah. which is going to offer a tasting menu. So let's just keep craft a la carte. Let's not confuse people with loads yeah. of different menus. Let's do one menu, do it really, really well. And then change it whenever it needs changing, whether that'll be every three months or every two months. I, I change menus as well, depending on, you know, when you're busier and you're doing a lot more covers. Mate, there's only so many times you can play a beef. You just yeah. get bored of them. Mate, you get, and I can see the chefs, they're like, fucking hell, not another one. So we, we change the menus to keep people excited. So once we've changed one menu, we'll carry on working on the next menu straight after it. Also, if you've got a taste menu in this place, and in eight. Well, eight why would you want to get eight? You yeah, just, exactly. You, you, that's the spe- That's the USP of eight. That's why. Yeah. 
that's there then. No, no, exactly. That's so that was one of the reasons for doing eight, and we were looking at another site to do it, and then we just said, well, why bother paying rent and rates on another site when we can just cut DFS up again and uh, build another room there? So that's basically what we did. That used to be the old bar. Yeah. Used to be the old bar at Craft. So the menu here is, is that the food you've always done? No, no, no. So God, back when I first started, what, 14 years ago when I was 18, uh, I kind of like fell into chefing. I got a job because I was a bit of a naughty lad, you know, going out drinking and doing naughty things. So It wasn't like because you've seen your granny cooking and roasting you thought. <sighs> Mate, <laughs> that, no, there was no stereotypical <laughs> bullshit of I no. fell in love with cooking when I was one, when I started eating my mum's pureed food or any of that. My mum was a shit chef. <laughs> she couldn't cook anyway, right? Um, so our home meals at home, I used to love chicken Kiev and rice, mate. You know, just the basics. Yeah, yeah. Good fellows pizza in the oven. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I grew up, tin of rice pudding out of a tin and just like normal home cooking off my mum. Uh, she made a banging roast dinner with Paxo stuffing and Bisto and all that lot though. She, that was that was the bollocks, mate. And I still love eating that now. Don't care what anyone says. Aunt Bessie's Yorkies. So now I, I became a chef. My dad got me a job working weekends. Keep uh, keep yeah, out keep trouble. Keep you out of trouble. Yeah, keep me out of trouble. Uh, so, keep you out away from the drink. It's not a good place to send you to. Uh, nah, not to a kitchen, mate. <laughs> so um, now I started working in a kitchen pub. Um, it was a Brinningham Price, part of the Brinningham Price group. So massive chain of pubs that they've got all over Britain. You know, mate, we do like three fifty for lunch, three fifty for dinner. It was a beast, mate. You know, the old bammeries with the gravy and the soup in and all that <laughs> lot. Running two sections, starters and sweets and. But it learnt, I, I learned a lot from there as well. I learned speed. Um, we learnt bloody, worked bloody long hours there as well, man. Long hours, which sometimes you used to think, is it worth it? But it was long, it was a, it was a machine. You know, I could remember on a Saturday you might go through. We used to get buckets of chips, buckets of chips brought in. So you might go through sixty odd kilo of chips on a Saturday. That's insane, mate. Jesus. Insane for chips just in a pub. Do you know what I mean? Four trays of sticky toffee pudding, a hundred. That's it, like everything comes with chips oh, mate, in the yeah, as well. Yeah, hundred portions out of each sticky toffee and you go through four four trays of it, mate. You get a hundred out of each tray. It was mental, mate. Butterscotch sauce. I used to make like 20 blocks worth of butterscotch sauce, 20 blocks Jeez. of butter. So a whole three kilo bag of sugar and like four double cream, mate. And a big stock pot. That's how much we were going through there. It was mental. See, I worked there for like a year or so, um, year or two, I think it was. And then I moved to another place with a lad. Um, and it was a little bit more upmarket. I had two rosettes. He said, come on board. I'll pay an extra couple of grand a year. And it was nothing, mate. Um, and I was like, oh, I'm in charge of. And he's like, well, I'm the head chef. And you're the sous chef. And we've got a pot wash. So I was like, oh, right, I'll be in charge of the pot wash. <laughs> um, so yeah, I went to work there. And something kind of just clicked. I've got a bit of an obsessive personality. I really, really started to fall in love with cooking. So... I started to read up a lot about more chefs, you know, Thomas Keller and all these people. And did you read any like cookbooks or anything at the time? Or did you have any cookbooks? Favorites? I did. You know, I, I was a massive, massive cliche bloody Gordon Ramsay fan. I used to love boiling points, loved boiling points with a passion. Don't know whether have, I you, have you watched it recently? Like, you know, come back and watch. Oh, the mate, we, we have it on on a Saturday night clean down in work here. <laughs> we put boiling points on. It was on this Saturday, just gone. In the kitchen, I've got I've got a TV screen in the kitchen, so we put it on when we're cleaning down, and we have it on in the background. It was the one with the cock, um, the Bramley apple, oh, God. mate, and it just keeps it's a bit of a morale yeah, boost yeah, after yeah. service, isn't it? It's and it makes the lads in the kitchen realise that I'm not that much of a bastard. <laughs> when you watch that. I was going to say, he uses like as a whip. You're like, yeah. I could be like this, lads. <laughs> Remember it at the time being shocking, and that was in the 90s. Oh, so mate. like judging it in like 2020 standards, it's like 
Mate, it's sick. Can you imagine some of the young chefs? Oh, like... mate, oh, mate, they wouldn't last two minutes there, mate. It was hardcore, wasn't it? So now I moved there and then I started, like I said, reading up on all these chefs and I thought, I've got to do something. I either carry on doing this career or I go and be a postman or something where I can finish work early every day and I don't have to work nights because there's no point in doing it if I'm not doing it and loving it and doing amazing food. So I sent my CV off to uh, Michael Keynes. He was opening a place in Chester called Chester Abode. And there was a load of hype about an exec chef that was going there who worked for Gordon Ramsay in New York at Maze and stuff. So I thought, I'll go there because I'll learn a lot. So I went for the job interview. The guy was called Stuart Collins, like brilliant chef, mega chef. Uh, went for a job interview with him uh, in Manchester abode. Um, and I remember I had to cook him a dish and it was cod and something. I can't remember what it was. Um, went downstairs, cooked it for him and it was proper shit, but they must have been desperate for chefs, mate. You know, where's me in charge of one pot wash? Can you imagine the interview? So how many's in your brigade? I'm like, yeah, yeah. me and a head chef in a minute when I'm in charge of a pot wash. So um, he was like, right, okay. Tried the dish. He, he gave me some bollocks and it was nice. I knew it was shit. Um, and he said, yeah, we'll give you a junior sous chef job in the brasserie, not in the fine dining. And I was like, oh, fuck it, sound. It's a job, isn't it? So I moved from North Wales to Chester um, and I dropped about five and a half grand salary. Wow. So I took, a, I took a pay cut. I was like, fuck it, I want to learn. I'm not asked. It's not about money for me. So I went to work there. All the lads in the fine dining were all like Michael Keynes or they'd worked mm. in two or three or four rosette places. Talking about veal stock. I remember thinking, what the fuck's veal stock? I use Nors stock. <laughs> I was, mate, yeah. I remember we used to make a sauce in the pub that I worked, mate. And it was lamb Nors, beef Nors, chicken Nors, all mixed together. And that's how we used to make our sauce, sticking it with the glue, the clagger, which was corn flour and water, mate, all thickened up. And they're like, veal stock, I'll get that on 48 hours. And I'm thinking, fucking hell, it's a long time for stock, isn't it? <laughs> so anyway, I, I was downstairs in the brasserie and it was steak and chips and Really, really, I'm, I'm saying that dull. Really good steak and chips. Really good burgers. Proper Caesar salad where you had to poach your egg to order, not pre-poaching your egg and all that shit. And you had to do fresh bacon crisp between two trays. And you had to make Caesar dress. And I was used to buying it in out of a bottle. So it was good to start there because it was a massive learning curve. And then after about four or five months, new opening, brutal. Everybody's working long, long hours. Everybody just started to fall go, 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 leaving left, right, centre. So in the end, it actually just became me on my own. The head chef had left, the sous chef, the chef the parties had all walked. <laughs> and I was like, shit, I'm in charge of a pot wash again. So it was just me and the pot wash in there. And then there was a lad downstairs that used to work in the stores called Warren. And um, he used to pop up and see how I was. He used to bring the veg up from deliveries and stuff. That's what he did. And he used to jump on the fryer for me, like proper good lad. He's a chef now. Um, so he used to come up and give me a hand peeling spuds and stuff like that, which was really, really cool. Um, and yeah, it was just me and him, mate. Me and him. We used to, I used to think it was mental. Some days I talked to myself, even how long on a how long on a Caesar salad. And I'd be like two minutes, chef. And I'm like, come on, you wanker, how long? You know, it was it was brutal. Um, but I, just, I thought if I stay, then I'm proving to myself that I'm meant to be here, and hopefully something good comes of it. So I've been there on my own for about five, six months now on my own, uh, just flat out. Um, and a competition came up called Most Up and Coming Chef in Chester. And there was like uh, the Grosvenor in Chester, Simon Radley, there was one of his lads, and there was Carden Park, a guy called Graham Tinsley at the time. A couple, couple of his lads, they were all in it. And I thought, fuck it, I'm going to enter it. What have I got to lose? So I went to Stu and I was like, I'm going to enter this. And he was like, oh, all right, okay. Um, and I was like, I wanted, but I, I, was, I was determined to do my own dishes. 
I wanted zero influence off anyone I thought if I'm going to do something like that it's me if you're winning you want it to be you yeah. that won it or if it's shit it's on me I know that I'm just going to be one of them guys that has to cook somebody else's food for the rest of my life because I'm shit <laughs> you know so I entered the competition did it thought nothing of it went to the awards like four or five months later everybody was there there was about a thousand people there they said my name and I was like fuck I can actually cook <laughs> so uh, totally unexpected I remember actually jumping up do you know when they've got all the screens and everything up? I remember jumping up and going fucking get in and everyone was like alright oh, oh, okay just like such a reaction yeah. like a 21 year old lad a cocky bastard as well um, did that came back and after about two or three days Michael Keynes and Stuart came to see me and they offered me exact sous chef job upstairs in the fine dining and I was like what I was like, are you serious? I'm in charge of a pot wash here at the minute. And, and my mate Warren comes and gives me a hand on the fryer. And they're like, listen, now you've proved yourself. We want you to come upstairs. We think you'll be really, really good. But in all that time, I didn't realise I was learning how to do the orders myself. And I was going upstairs and I was doing the orders for the guys in the fine dining because they were still working when I'd finished. And it was strange. I was teaching myself a skill set that at that time, I probably would have never had the chance to learn. But because... I'd stuck at it, I put myself in the position where I had to learn it. So it was a massive learning point for me. So I worked upstairs, uh, I remember my first shift up there, they were doing like purees out of bottles, puree went everywhere, mate, everyone's pissing themselves, <laughs> I was on the pass and I was thinking, fuck. So I remember going home, buying like two jars of mayonnaise, bringing a squeezy bottle home, filling the j bottles up and just learning how to do these puree swooshes. I mean, we don't even do them now, mate, do you know what I mean? No. Learning how to everyone do, oh mate, learning how to do these swipes or even with, do you remember with the spoon? <laughs> <laughs> the old swipe with a spoon, learn how to do that, learn how to do that. And um, now I went back and I absolutely loved it there. Um, in the mix of all that, I had a little girl and we ended up moving back to Wales just because the hours that I was doing and I thought, right, okay, let's go back. And my career just took a fucking plummet, mate. There's some good lessons there for any young chefs who are listening now, though, because a lot of people would have just turned around and said, do the order, fuck that, that's not my job. I'll ju I'll just, I'm just here to cook and then I'm off home and... There's opportunities, really, if you look in, even you said, even that first place, you said the food wasn't the best standard, it was just pub grub, but you learnt your lessons, you learnt lots of lessons there, and you learnt about speed. And Every single and place that I've ever worked, even even the second place, like the Grois Inn, where I said it, it wasn't the best, you know, I'd never done a breakfast shift before. Yeah. So, breakfast shifts, if anybody's ever done them before, you know. You know, it made, you're, <laughs> yeah, you're either hungover, it's one of them things you got to drag your ass out of bed, but it made me later on in life realise that if you fuck breakfast up, you've ruined the whole customer's experience. Mm -hmm. So it's the last thing they remember you on. And I'll never ever forget that. So I remember when I went to uh, went to work in a boat, they did breakfasts there. So when I went upstairs into the fine dining, the lads in a fine dining restaurant had to, had to do breakfast. Now, if I hadn't worked in the Grois, I would never have worked a breakfast shift before. But because I'd done a breakfast shift before, when they were doing breakfast in a boat, and they're like, yeah, there's three of us on breakfast, and I used to think, fuck, right, okay, well, we only used to have two of us on breakfast for doing the same amount of covers mm. in the Grois. You know, and it was still poaching your eggs for order and frying your eggs. So, yeah. you know, I took that away from there. So breakfast for me at a boat was a piece of piss, unless the breakfast chef called out sick, and you were hungover, and you were on your own, and then you had a hundred. <laughs> you were going down then, mate. Which happened quite a lot. Yeah. Um, had you gone to college at that point? Mate, college, I, I went to college for a little bit. I think I did about six lessons and then, yeah, I left. Um, didn't have the best experience at college. Um, maybe it was just the area that I went. Um, but mm -hmm. for me, the college that I went to, 
just didn't have the funding and the people there I didn't feel had the skill set to teach the chefs or inspire the chefs that was just yeah. fact and that was the teachers that I was with now the ones that are still working there still 14 years later you know how are they inspiring the next generation of chefs that when they've only worked in the same places that I started in working in the yeah. local pub yeah. how are you going to inspire them to go and work somewhere where you've got to put your neck on the line you know, the, 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 one of the fundamental issues that we've got in the industry at the minute is I should not have been a sous chef, an exec sous chef at 21. Yeah. I don't feel I should have been. It was circumstance that put me there mm. and I stepped up to it. Yeah, nobody killed me with the hours we did. It was circumstance that put me there. I you didn't were never taught that at college or anything because nah. they wouldn't teach you that kind of thing. No, nah, they wouldn't. They were, that was that was just down to individuality and mindset, isn't it? Yeah. I've I've always been one of them people. I've I put everything into everything that I do. You're lucky though. Some a lot. Of, well, I don't like calling you. Sorry, I feel like a lucky is an insult because you obviously work at that mindset as well. But there's a lot of people who aren't born with that mindset who would have just went, well, I didn't learn about that, so I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Well, that that, <laughs> is, that but that is the mindset that we face now. Yeah. I don't get paid to do that. Yeah. Well, that's not my job. Yeah, I think there's a generational thing as well, like definitely with young kids. But I'd say some colleges, I mean, I'm judging some colleges. We have a great one here in Birmingham. Yeah. But some colleges, they don't, it's not good enough what they do. No, no, no. But I mean, one thing that, you know, everything that I learned in Chester and in terms of boning out, you know, whole strip loins or prepping chickens or ducks and all these things and how to make sauces all them learning points helped develop my whole career. If I hadn't have turned and gone there, mm. I would not be sat here having this interview with you guys now. That is fact. Um, one of the fundamental people that showed me that, it wasn't Michael Keynes, it was Stuart Collins. Yeah. 100%, mate. So he, if you, sorry, if you could give one piece of advice for any chef listening young or someone who wanted to get into chefing, what would it be? like? Go and work for somebody that's going to inspire you and you're going to learn a lot off. And put yourself in different situations where you've got to learn. Step up if somebody's not. Yeah. That, that's what I always say. I remember I always used to think to myself, I want the other person's job that was above me. So when I was a chef at the party, I wanted the junior sous chef's job. When I was a junior sous chef, I wanted the sous chef's job. And then when I was sous chef, I wanted to be head chef. And that's just the mentality that I've always had. And when I left Chester and I went to Wales, it was a shit fight, mate. I couldn't get a job. I was, you know, they were like, you're too young. I was like, yeah, but look where I've worked. And like, yeah, the food that you do there is too posh. <laughs> so it was a massive kick in the it was a massive kick in the teeth for me. And then I went to work for a place um, called Chateau Rianfer, and they did like weddings and stuff like that. Mate, I turned that place into what I wanted it to be. I thought I can carry on sulking and saying, oh, the food is crap and there's not enough chefs, or I can play this to my advantage. It was a new place opening, new team. I bought a team with me there. Well, a couple of three chefs that I knew and I thought right they're doing loads of weddings here I'm not doing overcooked beef and boiled vegetables so I was like right what I'm going to start doing is I'm going to start asking if I can meet the bride and groom with the wedding organizer or the coordinator yeah. so I used to go in the meeting with them and they'd be like yeah yeah we want the roast beef and I'd be like no you don't want roast beef I'm like why do you want that oh because my mum and dad like roast beef I'm like whose day is it you want to come up with something special what's your favorite food and they'd be like Chinese food and I'm like well, why don't we do some sort of like Chinese main course that's really cool like a pressed belly pork and they'd be like oh that sounds really nice doesn't it <laughs> so I basically helped them push them along in doing something because I didn't want to do the shit food that they wanted to do yeah. uh, and again that place was cool because that taught me volume and weddings mm. so 
Now, if Kraft ever has an event like a Christmas party and it's 70 people, pff, that's nothing, mate. Because then there used to be a choice on these wedding menus, yeah. a 3-3-3. Three, three, three. At Kraft, they do a 1-1-1. One, one, one. So you can imagine, mate. It's that's a, a nice thing as well for the, even as a wedding couple. Like, if, if I was picking my food and I was like, sit down with top, the chef and the, you don't have well, to it have cool. this. You it, can do this. It's like another selling point yeah, for the yeah. place it, as well. It, it was cool. And then, like I said, mate, I worked there for a couple of years and... I thought, right, okay, what is what is the next step for me? I don't want to be doing weddings. I just want to work in a restaurant. Was there a point at that point where you thought, well, because of my all or nothing personality, I'm not working at a top class restaurant. I might as well just give up. Um, there was a point where I, f- I felt complacent and I felt like I was going to work every day and it was easy. Feel like that would piss you off just as much as yeah, yeah, and it ne- it never ever felt like it was it never felt like it was hard. But then I also looked at the food that I was doing, and I'd stopped being creative. I'd stopped pushing just mm. because the environment that it, I became complacent. So I thought to myself, right, next move, I've got to move to a restaurant, and that's what I did. I moved down to South Wales, uh, went to a place called Sospen, and I didn't bring anybody with me. And it's the first time I hadn't done that in years. I purposely went down there to prove to myself that I can do something on my own. And yeah. Because everywhere I'd gone, I'd always brought other chefs with me. And sometimes you start to come reliant on other chefs and you think, oh, I can't do that without him or I can't do that. And I thought, I need to try this on my own. So I moved to this place, South Wales, Sosman. Um, was it already established when you went down? Yeah, there? mate. It had been, been open for about two two years. It was in the Good Food Guide. Yeah. It was in the Michelin Guide. It had two rosettes. Nice. You no, know, it, it was already it was already established. But it's a very well known place. So yeah, that kind that kind of like lost its way a little bit in terms of like food offering. A chef had left like a year before I went there prior, and they were up and down with chefs. Um, and I went down there and. The owners are still keeping contact with them now. You know, they're great, great people. Rob and Debbie um, went down there, went for the interview, and I didn't know the place or the area at all, but I took the job because they said it's a restaurant and we don't do breakfasts, and it can be your <laughs> menu. It can be your menu, that's it. And I took the job on, and I look back. Mate, I mean, that wasn't even that long ago. We're talking four years ago, yeah, three, four nothing, years ago. That is nothing. So in the space of three or four years... I've gone from Wales to moving to Sospen to where I am now to doing Great British Menu twice. And that is all because of that one move. It's all because of that one move in my career. I went there, the first menu that I've got, if I showed you the pictures, I often send like a little collage and like an Instagram thing where you can post all your, like a layout picture where you can put like six pictures next to each other. (laughs) I often do that to uh, my old sous chef down there, Jake, to the food that we're doing now. And I'm like, mate, I remember us saying, mate, we could get a star with this food. It was so shit. What kind of food was it? Oh, mate, well, it wasn't shit. It was just me trying to be, it was me trying to find me in terms of being a chef. When I left Michael Caine's, I'd left there with a repertoire. So even when I went to all these other places, it was like, oh, we'll do that. Um, do you remember that chicken dish? And straight away, you start to think about the chicken dish that you used to do. And then it's really hard to go, we'll make the chicken sauce like this. You go, well, I've got a good chicken sauce recipe there. So all of a sudden, you start to replicate things. And that happens with a lot of chefs. So when I moved to South Wales, this is fact, I threw every single cookbook that I'd ever bought away that I had Why? anything to do with any chef because I decided... If I bought myself, well, all over the table, if I bought myself a notepad and a pen, I needed to start making my own ideas and stop looking for any 
guidelines or help or a little bit of inspiration off anybody else. I need to become my own chef. And if I don't throw the books away, I'm permanently going to go to something when I get stuck and I can't work like that. So Sospen was a great place in terms of when I started, the food was better than they were doing. It was still not great. It was still amazing brioche that we'd make, but then the menu was very hit and miss. If you'd have ordered that dish, it would have been all right. But if you'd have ordered that dish, it would have been a banging dish. The menu probably had, it wasn't an even split. It was probably a 60-40, all right dishes to good. There was nothing that was going to wow you. Um, And there, I just carried on building. I used to change the menu every week. Every fucking week, mate. <laughs> just give yourself some hard work to oh, do. Oh, mate. Oh, just dishes. Just dishes. Constantly just changing dishes. I'd be like, I'd do that dish. And I'd be like, I'm not happy with that dish. and change it. And then before I knew it, I started to get like this style where I was like, let's start cooking food that I kind of like, like to eat. And I started going down this like experimental route for a bit where it was too many fucking elements on a plate. 97 purees and lamb cooked 12 ways you'd have the, the heart the bloody leg and the arsehole if you could have do you know what i mean it was just trying to be too experimental but it just didn't it didn't work so i got a phone call then it was off great british menu and they were obviously struggling with chefs to get for the wales region so they fucking rung me <laughs> <laughs> and um they asked me to go on i was against um chris Harden, and another guy called jason who actually took over from me at chateau Rianfer. So you can imagine, could you imagine me then? I was thinking, fucking hell, I've got to go on this, mate. If he beats me, I'm done <laughs> in here, aren't I? Uh, so I went on anyway, and I was just happy to get through to the chamber on a Friday. I went in, and I was two points ahead of um, Chris Hard. I remember I got 10, 10 off Paul Ainsworth. I could have cried, man. What, what dish was it? Uh, it was Nurse Onion's rice pudding, and that was my nan's rice pudding dish, yeah. Uh, so it was, her, it was her rice pudding. So he, he gave me a 10, and I was like, what the fuck? I just didn't expect it, and I was like, oh, shit. This guy's got one star, and I'm like, who am I? And I'm thinking, do you know what, mate? I was like, I've only been here a year at Sospen at the time. I was like, I need to just carry on. So I'd done that series, and then it must have been fate. The second series that they were doing, somebody pulled out of the Wales region, and they pulled out last minute, and they rung me and said, do you want to come back and do it again? And I thought, fuck it, yeah, I've got nothing to lose. And in that time, I'd stripped everything back that I'd been doing at, at Sospen. I'd really taken in what I've been watching other people doing. So I, I took in like Chris Harrods and I was like, well, he's got a star. There's not that many elements on a plate and I'm killing myself here trying to do too many things to too many techniques and impress too many people. And it's killing me and it's killing the chefs. It's killing the food. You know, there's better having three good things on a plate, amazing things on a plate than 10 mediocre, isn't there? So in that time, I thought, do you know what? I'm going to do it again. So I did, did it again. Uh, and then I won the Wales region. I th- what, what did I get? two nines eight and a seven so and that was off phil howard which i was shit myself with i was like fuck it's phil howard so i did that went into finals met some amazing chefs in that met cray he's been on here you know still mate of mine banging chef and some other great chefs luke salesby adam reed all these sort of chefs as well and i thought i haven't done too bad now two years after moving down to south wales and it seems like I'm starting to get somewhere. You know, I didn't get, it wasn't about like just getting a dish to the bank or anything. It was just about like self-achievement for me and just been on something that chefs that I've aspired to be like have been on. And then I was on it and I was thinking, all right, well, this is pretty cool. Yeah. Would you do um, it again? Yeah, because again, mate, since, since when was the last time I did it? 2019. 
yeah 2019 mate the my food has evolved so much since then i was still in saucepan then i was still in saucepan the last time i had a great british menu which is mental what's made it evolve so much just seeing other people no do you know what do you know what's made it evolve just um moving to crafts made it evolve fact moving to craft um the fact that when I came here, Sam said to me that he wanted it to be a British restaurant made it evolve because, as we all know, Sussman closed down overnight through nobody's fault. It was just a, something that happened um, with owners, you know, out of my control, closed down overnight. It's very popular, as I said before we record, started recording, the amount of love that it got when it closed. I've never seen that before. Yeah, mate, well, let's see if the love re fires again soon. Eh? You never know. Um <laughs> No, I, I went, I did a little stint down in Cornwall and I was, I was heartbroken after Sospen left. Can you imagine? Like I was on such a, such a high and everything was going. And I, I, I honestly believe we were so, so close in just getting the product exactly how we wanted it to be for the first time. And it was bloody heartbreaking. So I took a job down in Cornwall, basically just to get the fuck away from everything. I thought, where's the furthest place I can go? <laughs> and I found it. I went to Cornwall. Took I went to Port Isaac, mate. And I, mate, I didn't even go down there with any aspirations. I took the team down from Sossman. Yeah. Basically, I needed to find a job where I couldn't split anybody up. I didn't want to break the team because the team were evident to me. So I bought the chefs. I bought the front of house manager. I bought the barman. Moved them all to Port Isaac, man. We all moved into one house together. Wow. Bought us all down there. So we moved down to Port Isaac, and um, mate, we. We, we, I mean, we did bloody good there, man. Yeah. <laughs> we did good there. I think 10 out of 10 in the Telegraph, 10 out of 10 in the Guardian, Michelin Guide within six months, Good Food Guide within six, AA Guide. You know, we did bloody well. And again, things happen out of your control, don't they, with certain pl- things. And, you know, it was fate. I met Sam and Emma, found out about craft, came up to meet Sam and Emma, um, and I bought into them too more than anything. If anything, do you know when I first met them, do you know what it was? I trusted them. Yeah. trusted them mate I've been shit on so many times with people that I've worked for and owners and just how, how they treat staff I met Sam and Emma and it's the first time in my career I actually believed what they were saying I trusted them you said you learn everything from every role uh, what did you learn from Port Isaac um, I learned from Port Isaac don't believe everything anybody ever says to you <laughs> <laughs> what was it sort of like the idea of coming to Birmingham House Birmingham sort of we always we're in a bubble in Birmingham we, yeah, like, yeah. we know how great the food scene is and we speak to loads of chefs but they're all most of them are brummies yeah. so like what's it like if working in Cornwall or in well, Wales honest, I've always been the outsider haven't I I've always been the outsider I went from Liverpool to Wales I've gone from North Wales to South Wales which is like from going up north to London you know and then I've gone to Cornwall I've always been the outsider, yeah. and you know, mate, it's 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 always it's always the same. When I moved to when I went, when I was in Port Isaac, I was I was a stone throw away from restaurant Nathan Outlaw. I was opening a restaurant up that did a tasting menu, and my tasting menu was half the price of his across the road. <laughs> so you know that's not that's that's going to ruffle feathers, isn't yeah, it? Cool. One of the cool things that when I came to Birmingham was I knew that I had. I look at it like a really good platform as well. Probably the best platform that I've ever had in my career because it's the second largest city in Britain. It's obviously the second city with the most Michelin stars. Yeah, That's right, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Um, 
So if anywhere is going to get a platform for me, my team, my food, and my career, it's Birmingham. I wanted to go to a place where it had volume of people coming through the doors to try your food because only then, you know, you're going to succeed. You know, working in Port Isaac, it's all well and good in the summer. It's like tumbleweed in the winter. That's just fact. North Wales as well, very, very seasonal. So summer might be busy, but it's tumbleweed in the winter, um, which again, as a chef, can be soul-destroying when you've got a kitchen team standing behind you and you've got 10 covers in. So you can imagine how happy I am now that Kraft's doing 600 covers a week. It's a lot of people coming through the restaurant trying the food. Did you know much about Birmingham before you came here? I'd never been. I'd never even been. But like I said, I'd never been to Cornwall. I'd never been to South Wales. <laughs> I'd never ever been. I've never ever been one of them. Do you know one of them people that are very much where they get worried about where they go? They go, oh, I can't do that because of this, this, this and that. Or family live there. Mate, when I lived in Cornwall, I used to drive seven hours to go and see my kids and I'd drive back every single week. Yeah, every week. Th- distance is nothing to me. I'm like, you've got to be happy in what you're doing, your job. And it's this is the first job in 14 years where I've been happy. And I believe that's why we're so busy and I think that's why the food's evolving so fast at Kraft and that's why eight's happening. You can tell. You can definitely tell. 100%. 100%, That's why. So with eight, what was the thought behind it? So eight all started with, there was a bar down the bottom here. We were originally looking at a place and me and Sam were talking about taster menus and all that sort of stuff. And me and Sam both stood in where the bar was originally and we were just having a look and we were like we could turn this bar into a you know kitchen so the sta- so the customers in craft could see it and I was thinking well then what are we going to do with the huge kitchen that we've got in there <laughs> yeah. and then he was like yeah that's true as well and then we were bouncing a couple of ideas off each other and it's this is just like mental this so it must be fate how it's all come together so we noticed that there was eight panes of glass on the on the uh, outside of craft and that's almost what that's where the entrance of eight's going to be so we're like oh what could we call them and i was like oh there's eight panes of glass there <laughs> and he was like all right okay so uh, call it eight couldn't we and we were just laughing and joking and the original idea was that on each pane of glass i'd draw a different dish and all this stuff and then this is freaky this i look back when i became a chef i became a chef on the 8th the 10th 2006 which is mental. That's like mental. So I was like, we've got to call it eight. And I met Sam and Emma on the 8th of October last year at Ophine for my meeting. That's strange. That's fucked yeah. up, isn't it? So you keep noticing it come up. Yeah, yeah. So I kept on noticing that it came up. And then I was like, right, okay. Um, let's call it eight. So think about this now. I go from pub to the start of my career. The menu's written for you. I go to work at Michael Caine's. You're doing a Michael Caine's repertoire. I go to work in Chateau Riamfer. I'm doing wedding food. As much as I'd like to say, I had full scope on everything. I still had restraints. I still had to do afternoon teas and all that stuff that a hotel has to do. I went to Sospen. I started doing my food, but because of the local area as well, I still had to offer a lunch menu and do fish and chips and all this stuff for lunch times to get the locals in. I went down to Cornwall shit fight in the summer 
tourists just to send and they want everything from crab sandwiches to a taster menu to a breakfast menu to an a la carte to everything this was the first time in my career where i had an identity with craft the menu was the menu you can't come here and have a sandwich you know if you're going to come here and have a garden picnic or book an afternoon tea don't expect it to be scones and sandwiches because that ain't going to be what you're going to get you're going to get something really really cool and it was the first time I was really happy. So for me, eight was 14 years of fucking hard work and busting my ass. And I basically decided that I wanted to create a concept that wasn't just a customer sat in front of you and me serve your food over a counter and go, did you enjoy your meal? Because people come to craft every week and enjoy the meal. The only difference is I just push the food off a pass onto a tray and the guy... And the girls or whoever take it to them, the waitress, and explain the dishes. I wanted to create an experience of food that I love to eat, but also the customer is going to walk away and go, fuck, I've never had that experience before. So I came up with the whole idea of concept of eight, and I broke down every single dish. So when you look for the, through the menu, every single dish has got something to do with the number eight. So... V8, for instance, that's a juice, V8 juice. It's a power fruit juice with eight different vegetables in it. I was like, okay, that's really, really cool. And I'm all for fitness and stuff like that. So I'm like, let's come up with a really cool interpretation of that. So I came up with that. Then I had a look at another dish and I was like, mm, what's the chemical symbol for oxygen? It's eight. So I was like, okay, what happens when you open a bottle of wine? It oxidizes. When it goes off, it turns to vinegar. All right then, so why don't we call the dish oxidised and then we'll marinate the beef in the oxidised wine and then I'll come up with a dish all around oxidised wine. What 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 things need to live? Oxygen. So let's do a dish with, set, let's put seps on the dish as well because the chemical symbol for oxygen is eight. Things need oxygen to live, so I'm going to put mushrooms on it. But it wasn't just to that extent. I started breaking all the dishes down first. Lucky eight in Chinese culture, it's the lucky number for wealth. So I was like, okay, what's a dish that I'd love to eat if there was eight days in a week, man? I'm like, so I've come up with a dish. It's pork liver on treacle bread. You know, I'm like, it's just stuff that I want to eat with Branston pickle, homemade Branston pickle. I'm like, that's cool, man. I'm like, lucky eight. And then there was another dish that I was like, all right, I'm from Liverpool. Love the Beatles, man. They wrote a really cool song, eight days a week. Everybody knows it. It's a bit chilled out. So I thought, okay, so let me come up with a scallop and apple dish. The reason I came up with a scallop and apple dish is because Paul McCartney owned Apple Corporation, which owned that, the rights to that song. So I came up with a dish based around a scallop and apple. All these dishes started coming to me. I've called the carrot cake dish that's on 8th to the 10th, 2006, because it's the first thing that I ever cooked in a kitchen, a carrot cake. One of the first things. Resurrection, verse 8, chapter 8 of the Bible, is all about resurrection. So I came up with the main course as resurrection because that could be resurrecting any dish throughout my repertoire of 14 years of working. So I bought back a dish, venison. And that's how I've worked around the whole eight. So I came up with all the dishes first. And then I thought that isn't, that isn't good enough just to wow people. So how do I come up with something that's unique? So I came up with the idea of let's put TV screen on the wall. Let's make a whole cinematic TV screen experience for the customer so imagine when you were eating your dish v8 and i put that dish down in front of you imagine you saw every single vegetable just falling down the screen and then all getting slowly blended 
imagine like it isn't just it isn't just the dish anymore you're actually interacting with the whole thing imagine oxidized while you're eating it that somebody's talking you through what happens when oxygen helps mushrooms grow through the ground and then mushrooms slowly grow through the ground on a time lapse you know all them things that are interactive with customers i wanted it to become that and that's how i've created the whole guest experience at eight even down to when you book down to that you get a badge sent to in the post and you're not allowed in the restaurant unless you've got your badge on. So all these things, it had to be more, even down to the drink. I can't just serve you a glass of wine or a bottle of beer with V8 because that's got no meaning. So I've even gone out my way to find a gin that's been distilled with black tomatoes to go with V8 and then I'm making a tomato consomme to get poured with that gin. Have you done any reading into like... um Professor Charles Spencer's work and like you know like Heston and how like lighting can affect none. I've done absolutely, I've done absolutely none, and uh, I've carried on doing nothing, nothing like that for years because it was all based on when I threw the books away when I moved down to South Wales. My career started, I firmly believe, when I moved down there. Fact, I put myself on the map. Fact, because I started using my own brain and stopped looking about what other people are doing. Now even down to when you're eating your food each song will change depending on what you're eating i won't just have a meaningless playlist in the background going oh i wonder what that is that's a nice song isn't it each song will play depending on what you're eating and the chefs will all be in control of that there's a lot of research into like tempos of songs and how the pitch of a song can change the taste yeah 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 it's a huge thing you know and, and i genuinely believe if i can create something interactive like that i don't think anybody else is doing that in the city what we've seen and what you've described because we've had a sneak peek i can't think of anything like that anywhere well i can't think of anywhere like that in britain at the minute that's doing the inter- now the chefs will do everything the chefs do absolutely everything they make the drinks they serve the drinks and they serve your food and they talk you through everything even down to um i've got one dish which is a uh, square root of eight and the square root of eight is 2.8 so I took two ingredients and I've manipulated them eight different ways. So I've got a pistachio <laughs> and a celeriac. And then even the drink that goes with it. So the drink that goes with it is a uh, smoked celeriac whiskey sour. So we've uh, made a celeriac consomme, which we're then making into a whiskey sour with a uh, smoked whiskey as well to go with it. So it's not like you, you're just having a drink for the sake of it. Everything is there for an absolute reason. Even down to the staff's uniform. You know, I'm getting personalized trainers with like the eight logo on it. I'm like, everything has got to be there for a reason. Everything that we do has got to be there for a reason. Otherwise, there's no point in doing it. And to the point of now where it's actually, it's actually becoming a bit obsessive. Yeah. Completely obsessive. Even down to the way that we wanted the um, the water glasses in the table. I always hate it that you could knock your glass over. So in the, in the top of the bar, I've had engravings. So we've got circular engravings for your glass to sit in so it doesn't wobble. So we've thought of that. We have thought of every single little detail. This is like the most personal thing you've probably ever done in your career as Mate, well. Mate, this is like, this is me. This is, it's, it's the first time ever where I haven't been able to sit all my chefs down and go, do you know, like even like bounce ideas with my sous chefs or because we'll come up with stuff and then it will, Lewis will know what I'm like. With Kraft, Lou, Lou helps me come up with 90% of the dishes in here it's really difficult because my head's so, you know, I'm looking into the square root of eight, 2.8, and I'm going, okay, square root, right, okay, uh, vegetable, root vegetable. 
all right, that's the link. I've got a root vegetable here, square root. And you, I have to obsess about it. And it's quite difficult when we're still running another beast as well, pulling people in and going, I've come up with this dish, square root of eight, and it's a root vegetable. And I'm going to manipulate it 2.8. And he's like, what the fuck are you on, mate? <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like if this goes really well, which I'm sure it will, in three years' time or four years' time, if it's still called eight and you still got that concept, do you think it's going to be quite hard to still change the dishes, or do you hundred percent comfortable you be able to just hundred percent not forever? because when you when you have a look through it, it's it's a never end. I've already started work on two thousand and twenty one. Jesus, I've already started work on it, <laughs> and in, and the way that I've done that is it's down to your badges that you get delivered to you in the post to come into the restaurant. So every badge has got a number on it every number then goes into a sequence table. So when I relaunch eight again, which I'll do maybe every year and go the new eight concept, I almost want it to look like a matrix screen where everybody's number that's dined at the restaurant is all all over the uh, computer screen on the, in the restaurant. And then the number turns into letters and the letters then turn into names of every customer that's dined with us that year. And then the concept just starts all over again. So I've got to, I've got to obsess about it because I can never ever let people come and go, oh, God, it's 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 gone a bit old hat now. Because it was a great meal. You want yeah, yeah. more than that. <laughs> I, I want more than that. Do I believe that I've got a lot riding on it? Yeah. And I've got to pull, I've obviously got to pull it off now. I've got to pull it off. You know, we're opening on the eighth of October at eight PM. So and we only do one sitting. I only do one sitting and then I've even got a clock outside and it's a twenty four hour clock. So when you come into the restaurant, the clock stops. And then when everybody leaves the restaurant, it starts again for the following service the following day. And then when we're open, there's like a laser that goes around the door outside the restaurant that's green. And when we're closed, it's red, so people know. And if you're not here on time for your table, I'll lock the door. So if you're late, you ain't coming in because everybody eats at the same time. So you'll just, could you imagine if you were like, I'm really, really sorry I'm late uh, and they're running in. And the TVs that, you know, I've already gone through three movies on the the screen. It ain't going to work, mate. It ain't gonna work. So, the experience that it's not dependent on having eight people in the room. Then, then. No, it's 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 not dependent on that at all. You know, I'm. I, have I looked at bookings at the minute? Yeah. Have we got bookings? Yeah. Which I'm really. Uh, you know, I was bloody. So I was like, shit. We've got. We were having bookings four weeks ago for it. So I'm like to say that we were having bookings four weeks ago is bloody amazing. I'm like, I haven't even opened yet, and we're having, and people have to pay up f- up front in full. Yeah. You've got to pay for full before you come. So yeah, that's good because what I was getting at was uh, you'd, I'd be worried about uh, no shows affecting the experience. But if you're not you're not going to no show after paying the full. No, no, cool. No, so I think um, I just think it's something that's dead, dead exciting and dead, dead unique. Even down to like the posts and everything that we're putting on social media and everything at the minute, everything is there for a reason. So when people are looking at things and going, what the hell is this? Everything I've done will be incorporated into it. We're going to open up, you know, and fingers crossed, everything goes really, really well because I'm so, I'm so excited. And everybody that I tell the concept, like they get it when I tell them it. So I'm like, if people get it when I'm telling them it, imagine how they're going to feel when they're eating it and they're seeing it. That's, I think that's really, really powerful. I think it goes beyond just giving somebody a plate of food. What days is it? Uh, uh, same as craft. So we're only open Wednesday night to Saturday night. Um, and then we're just going to see what demand's like, you know. 
is there a demand for lunch? Maybe. We could have a lunch. Um, somebody messaged the other day and said, are you going to open 8 o'clock for breakfast? And I'm like, nope. I'm like, no, I've done the breakfast shift. I'm done, thanks. But no, nah, I think it's I think it's cool. There's room for a taster menu breakfast course. Like, that's got to exist. Imagine that you could go somewhere and have a, like, a whole taster menu, 14 courses, yeah, and it was eight, all breakfast. Eight, like eight, eight taster course. Yeah, you might yeah, be the only two yeah, there. Yeah. there yeah. I'd, I'd definitely be the front of the queue for that one. I just think for eight, though, was... Um, it was right in the menu. It was right in the menu and the concept of it. I've never, ever, ever put so much effort into mentally think Like GBM was a walk in the park coming up with a, an idea if it was NHS or something compared to this. Imagine coming up with a menu where everything is based around one number. It, that was uh, I, I was like what the fuck have you just done but actually it's like anything isn't it the more I've never been so interested in a number in all my life since I started researching it and it's amazing how many things you're like wow I never knew that before I never knew that before and how many things that are actually incorporated into food with it but it's obviously now just showing everybody what I'm doing which is uh, exciting mega excited like I can't yeah. wait <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm buzzing for it it looks yeah. great such a great concept as well it's something different in the city, isn't it? You know, I, I had to try and... Comp- how do I compete with places that have been here for years, like you say? People that have been around in Birmingham, chefs that have been in Birmingham for years that have got a chef's table. How do I say, okay, come to my chef's table then? You know, these places have got reputations, they've got stars. You know, craft's busy, yeah. But it's it's a lot different if you're saying, I tell you what, come and eat my £88 menu. Because then they'll start going, £88 per person, a couple of other places in the city where I could go for that. And I'm like, all right, what about if I came up with a concept that nobody else has got where it's gone beyond food? It has to go beyond food because if I don't, I should have just opened that chef's bench up table and just served the food into craft. Mm. Do you have any aspirations for a Michelin star? Um, do you know what? I stopped all that. I stopped years ago thinking about, I, I honestly believe if you're... I think if you're just really, really happy and cooking the food that you want to cook, if things come, they come. But I'm like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not chasing anything anymore because I've got everything I want in there, mm-hmm. you know. And if people recognise that it's that's what sort of standard it's worthy of, then great. If they don't, and I'm happy and the restaurant's full, happy days. Yeah. That's that's totally how I, I, I think now. I'm, you know, I've worked way too long in this industry. I've worked, you know, where. You're like, oh, I think that we're going to get a star. I think that we're going to get a star and you don't get it and everyone's all down. And then you're thinking, do you know what, mate? Fucking hell. I think if you push too hard, you're never going to get it. Yeah. And again, I don't believe that your identity comes out. I think once you start to relax and you start to say, this is me and this is the food that I'm cooking, that's when you become more noticeable. Yeah. That's fact. And start cooking for you instead of cooking for everybody else. I honestly cook for the team and food that I love to eat at craft. That's fact. I don't cook for, mm, what if they don't like that or what if they don't like that because everything we put on, I know be, people are going to like beef and New Yorkshire pudding. I know that on the last menu we did a take on ham, egg and chips. I'm like, seen that, that looked awesome. Mate, I'm like, people are going to order it, it's ham, egg and chips, isn't it? Yeah. You know, even when they order dessert, I'm like, who's not going to order rice pudding? You know, Lewis, who's uh, going to be head chef in there, he's just put a dish on and it's basically... His mum used to make him Jamaican gingerbread cake with mandarins and she used to put cream cheese in it and then pour the syrup over the top of it. 
And he's basically he's put his mum's gingerbread cake on. So basically, we've done uh, our interpretation of ginger cakes. So it's a ginger sponge which we bake to order, so it comes hot out of the oven. What's nicer than that? We've done a mandarin syrup, mandarin sorbet, and we've done like a grated chocolate. It is, it's amazing, but it's it's just another memory, and it's something that people can go, oh, what's that? And you go, do you remember you're making gingerbread cake? And they're like, yeah, man, I remember that. So, and that's how we've done the whole menu. It's like, if we do mashed potato on here, I'm like, make sure there's shitloads of butter and cream yeah, in it. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, it's got to be the best mashed potato that they're serving in the city, man. <laughs> and it's the same with, it's the same with a lot of the other stuff. You know, we've just put smoked salmon and cream cheese on. You know, it's smoked salmon mousse, cured salmon, treacle bread. It's just delicious, mate. And it's, it's flying out because I've just wrote smoked salmon and cream cheese on the menu because everybody knows what that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I've got I've got salted beef and pickles. That is, I go through about 24 kilo of salt beef a week. They get three slices. That's just like mental. But And that's kind of, even when you come and sit and eat and you eat the food in there, there's nothing. I've made sure that the menu something. I, sometimes I get a bit disappointed because I think that some people's menus can go so off track, it's just weird. Yeah. And especially when you're eating a taste menu, I want you to eat every course and go, fuck, I'd love another bite of that. Mm. Not like I'm putting that in my mouth and going, mm, what was that texture? Mm, what was that? I'm like, the fundamentals of it are, you put it in your gob and you just want to keep <laughs> on eating it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think once you start going off track and doing some, you know, weird shit, I'm like, and that just isn't me. I've gone right back to my roots. I've gone total full circle. And all the food that I eat is all the food that I want to eat when I'm at home. Just done in a nice way. It happens to be food that most people want to eat. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah, mate. Yeah, and and that stuff. is that is it. You know, everyone was going on about bloody all these other places in Birmingham that do cocktails, the Alchemist, and all this palaver with the dry ice and all that shit. And I'm like, listen, guys, let's just make banging drinks. Yeah. Let's serve banging beer. I'm like, fuck what everybody else is doing. Does it taste good? Yeah, it tastes good. Yeah, exactly, mate. I'm like, just, we don't, you know, when, when I go out to eat, I don't go and eat in bloody Ophim and go, oh, well, let, let's do something. I go and eat there because I want to eat there. Yeah. I, I genuinely never go out as like a, I don't want to go out as like a critic and go, oh, I'm not, oh, if you've been there, I'm not, but mate, I go out because I just love eating food. Yeah. And t- to be fair, so far, this city, it's got banging food. Yeah, it's rewarding, isn't it? <laughs> oh, mate, like dirty burgers. I'm like, I went to OPM like before lockdown, just banging, mate. Yeah, Bonehead. Great. But, oh, Bonehead, don't get mate, me started. I, I should have a gold place. card there, mate. Honestly, <laughs> the delivery guy knows exactly who I am yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hothead burger, yeah. Oh, mate, it's just everything about <laughs> Even the strips, mate, and then potato tots. I'm like, yeah, that yeah, is proper yeah. cooking to me, mate. <laughs> yeah, it's low. It's more, probably my favourite place in Brum. At least one of them. You haven't tried eight yet? I know you haven't been. We keep talking about this. I can't believe you haven't been. Need to go. I feel like that's everything you wanted to say here, mate. I'm all good. Yeah, mate. I'm all good. I'm all good. Now it's been great. These questions. Yeah, we we do a little quick fire thing at the end. Cool. We do for Carl just to help people get to know the real chef Andrew Sheridan. Just a few quick fire, just super easy questions. You definitely know the answer to them. Uh, What's your favourite film? Favorite film? Eight Mile. No, Green Mile. Green, not fucking Eight Mile. Green Mile. He's got eight in the brain. Yeah, mate. Green Mile. Green Mile. Uh, what's your favorite band or DJ or rapper or whatever? Ooh, fucking hell. Uh, I'm a big Oasis fan, mate. 
Uh, yeah, go with Oasis. Nice one. What's your favourite cookbook? Then again, you threw them all away. So. I'm gone, mate. <laughs> they're all, they're all in the bin. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favourite spirit? Spirit? Whiskey. Any particular one? <sighs> like food, mate. Too hard to say. Yeah. Yeah, mate. Just I love all. all of them. Yeah, mate. I love all of them. <laughs> uh, favourite beer? Beer. Mm, I love a San Miguel, you know. Really? Yeah, mate. I yeah, love a San Miguel. Yeah, yeah. Especially when you're on holiday. Yeah, I love it, mate. Something in the about sun. it, isn't there? Yeah, Memories. Yeah. Uh, your favourite big fast food chain? Bonehead. <laughs> yeah, I've been boned. Oh, that's takeaway assorted as well. Oh, do I want to say that's a chain though? <laughs> would they get pissed off? Uh, there's only one of them, isn't there? Yeah, it's not a chain then, is it? No, no, no. Oh, well, that's a piece of piss, mate. I know exactly where it is. Um, what the fuck's it called now? The burger joint up here? Five guys, mate. Five guys, yeah. Every day answer. of the week, five guys, mate. It's great, isn't it? Mate, anybody that's... That should, I said, we were having this conversation last week in the kitchen. I'm like, why shouldn't five guys have a star? I'm like, it's a consistently good burger, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a good milkshake and a banging hot dog on the side. Yeah, you got the peanuts you can have while you're waiting as well. It's just perfect, isn't it? Yeah, no, five no, guys. I said we were finishing up. Isn't there something really fascinating about franchises? Like how they manage to get that consistency over so many restaurants. Yeah, it's McDonald's crazy. as well, mate. I'm Mac- like... Oh. A Big Mac is a Big Mac anywhere in the world. Yeah, it's like, mate, well, most Saturdays, you know, I, they hate me when I go to McDonald's around here. I, I went and spent 45 quid on Saturday morning. I'm like, yeah, all right, <laughs> mate, can I have a 10 double cheese? I'll just bring them in here. We'll just throw them all on the table and all get stuck in for it breakfast. Man, wherever you land in the world, you know, if you see them golden arches, you won't starve. Yeah, exactly, mate. <laughs> the food's yeah, awful there. Yeah. You know, you can go there and you'll get a Big Mac. Yeah, exactly. You know. Banging. Except some countries you can get a beer when you go in there as well. Not this one. Hamburgs, <laughs> yeah. Well, Phil, I know the answer to this one. If you're going for a quick bite in Birmingham, where are you going? Bonehead. <laughs> yeah. What's your favourite bar that you've been to so far in Birmingham? Do you know what? I haven't been to one. Honest to God, I haven't been to one. Well, we can have a conversation about that yeah. then. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been yet. Brilliant. Awesome. That's Cheers, us. Cheers, lads. That's, That's great. Yeah. Really glad nice. to have me on. Really appreciate your time. Great. Cheers. Hey everyone, massive thank you for listening. We absolutely love making these episodes and bringing you the story of some of the best people in the food industry in Birmingham. As we said before, we love Birmingham and its food scene and we think it's truly special. So if you agree, do us one big favour. All you have to do is rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps promote the podcast and gets us listened to by more people and gets more people to listen to how great Birmingham is and we would really appreciate it if you could do that for us until next time thanks again for listening <laughs>